Hello, and welcome to the History of Greece, Episode 3, Human Evolution from 20 Million to 250,000 Years Ago, in 10 Minutes. Those of you who listened to Episode 2 might be wondering what's going on, since I told you that Episode 3 would examine the Lower and Middle Paleolithic on the Greek mainland. There's been a slight change of plan. Here's what's happened. Since the end of January 2017, there have been several new discoveries in paleoanthropology that have changed the shape of my narrative. Some of these discoveries are from Greece and the surrounding islands, while others are from elsewhere in the world, but impact our analysis of Greek finds. While this is extremely exciting, it's also kind of frustrating because I have to keep changing my plans. Also, while I was doing some more research about the Paleolithic, I realized that I left out a bunch of information that I think is crucial to the interpretation of the finds on Crete that I presented in episode 2. And, I realized that providing a recap of human evolution in the majority of the Stone Age episodes was going to get really boring after a while. And I definitely don't want this podcast to be boring. Nerdy? Sure. Richly detailed? Certainly. But I want this podcast to be fun and informative. Never boring. So... I decided to make a mini-episode that provided a bite-sized summary of human evolution. This way, if you get lost in later episodes and can't remember what Heidelbergenses are or whether or not humans evolved from Neanderthals, you have a crash course that you can return to in order to sort it all out. This episode will probably be the least Greece-centric episode in the whole series. The reason is that piecing together the human story is, as I have said before, a global enterprise. Especially in the pre-Neolithic periods, we need to use information from other places to understand the fossil remains and artifacts that appear in Greece. Otherwise, all we have is part of a skull here, a few hand axes there, and sometimes just a single tooth that provides evidence for what's going on in Greece. So bear with me this episode, while we have a slightly broader perspective than usual. The next episode will, once again, focus solely on Crete. So, may I present in the somewhat gimmicky fashion of our time-crunched world, the history of the evolution of humans, from 20 million to 250,000 years ago, in 10 minutes. Starting now. The lineage of the Homininidae, more commonly known as hominids, which includes humans, orangutans, chimpanzees, and gorillas, diverged from the Hylobotidae, also known as gibbons, about 20 million years ago. Shortly after that time, due to a warming climate that extended the tropical forests on either side of the equator, apes dispersed into Europe and Asia. Or at least into the places we know today as Europe and Asia. The continents have drifted slightly further apart since then. While these precursors of the species we know today were wandering around the globe, apes began to adapt to their environment and become new species. The gorilla branch broke off from the human chimpanzee branch, somewhere between 19 and 8 million years ago. The human lineage, hominins, or more properly, hominini, diverged from the lineage of chimpanzees, our closest living relatives, somewhere between 13 million years ago and 4 million years ago. For those of you keeping up with the scientific terms, chimpanzees and bonobos are referred to collectively as panini, not the delicious grilled sandwich, but rather the members of the genus pan. You might be wondering why there is such a broad range for the possible dates of the divergence of Hominini and Panini. The reason 
is that very little fossil evidence of primates survives from this time span, especially in Africa, which is where we would expect primates to be. So scientists have proposed various conflicting estimates from a combination of fossil and molecular data. In part due to a new find published in April 2017, there is some evidence that the last ancestor of all humans and chimpanzees may have lived in Greece about 7 million years ago, before its descendants migrated back into Africa, which would explain the lack of fossils in Africa. However, the evidence is a bit too complex to discuss in a 10-minute speed-through of human evolution, and it's very exciting stuff, so there will be a near-future mini-episode devoted to that story. Stay tuned. After the divergence of the ancestors of humans and chimpanzees, the human side of the lineage went through a variety of changes that resulted in a species that looked and acted increasingly like anatomically modern humans. Over these years, hominins evolved bipedal ground locomotion, upright posture, and increasing brain size. However, when and where hominins acquired each of these key adaptations remains uncertain. One of the notable species in our lineage that includes these features is Australopithecus afarensis. The famous Lucy skeleton, dated to 3.2 million years ago, is the preserved remains of a member of this species. Lucy and her fellow Australopithecines, or Australopiths, combined many features that we would normally associate with apes, alongside many features we would normally associate with humans. For instance, her brain was small, about a third or less the size of Homo sapiens' brains. She ate a largely plant-based diet, and she was probably covered in hair, like a chimpanzee. On the other hand, she walked upright when walking along the ground, like a human. Some amazing footprints, associated with Australopithecus afarensis skeletons, have been found in Lytoli, Tanzania. Until recently, paleoanthropologists believed that Australopithecines and their hominin contemporaries such as Canianthropus platyops, were incapable of manufacturing stone tools. However, in a survey conducted in Kenya in 2011 and 2012, paleoanthropologists discovered some clumsily made stone tools dated to around 3.3 million years ago. Before this discovery, we thought that stone tools originated with the genus Homo, but these tools, and their close association with Canianthropus platyops fossils, argue otherwise. Recent research suggests that some chimpanzees also utilize stone tools. Since many Australopiths had brain sizes similar to those of living chimpanzees, this may provide further evidence that Australopithecus or Canianthropus might have been able to make stone tools. We don't know yet whether our lineage descends from an Australopith, a member of the genus Canianthropus, or some other yet unknown genus. However, we do know that we must have been related to one of the various species that shares these sorts of proto-human characteristics. Around 2.5 million years ago, the first known member of the genus Homo, Homo habilis, evolved. The name Homo habilis is Latin for able man, the idea being that these humans were able to make tools. Often, paleoanthropologists will translate this as handyman, because in Latin, habilis can also mean useful or handy. This also serves as an apt name because, as I said, the fossil remains are associated with some stone tools. Like a handyman. Uses tools. You get the joke. Homo is the Latin word for human, and all of the members of this genus are bipedal, upright, large-brained tool users. Homo is the genus that includes anatomically modern humans, Homo sapiens, as well as our most recent cousins, Homo neanderthalensis, 
and the species that probably made the lower Paleolithic stone tools found on Crete, Homo heidelbergensis. Homo erectus, the precursor to all three species, appeared about 1.9 million years ago. It is still unclear whether Homo erectus was a descendant or a cousin of Homo habilis. Either way, by about 1.8 million years ago, several bands of Homo erectus had already made their way out of Africa and into the Middle East and Europe. A set of diminutive Homo erectus ended up as far north as Dmanisi, Georgia. As Homo erectus groups migrated, they littered the landscape with primitive stone tools, known in some places as Oldowan tools, and in others as pebble core tools. Stone tool deposits and fossil remains show that members of the genus Homo radiated out of Africa periodically over the next million and a half years, with a large increase in exploration about one million years ago. As time passed, more advanced species evolved from Homo erectus, and these species found it easier to expand their territory over Africa, Europe, and Asia. About 600,000 years ago, Homo heidelbergensis evolved and was probably responsible for the massive increase in migrating population that happened about 500,000 years ago. From the current evidence, it seems likely that the members of Homo heidelbergensis that moved into Europe and Asia evolved into Neanderthals, while those that remained in Africa evolved into Homo sapiens. The major split between the anatomically modern human and Neanderthal lineage probably occurred around the same time as the major migration, according to recent molecular data. This makes perfect sense, Given the wide scope of the migrations and the increasing size of the Mediterranean, the Heidelbergensis populations in Africa and Europe became genetically isolated from one another and spawned two different species. While it is clear that some Heidelbergenses were able to make sea voyages, the different evolutionary paths of the two species shows that the sea was more of a barrier than a thoroughfare. The lineage in Africa became distinctly sapiens-like by around 315,000 years ago, according to some fossils from Morocco, published in the June 2017 issue of Nature. The Petrolona skull, perhaps the most iconic Paleolithic find in Greece, comes from about the same time, somewhere between 300,000 and 250,000 years ago. It was found in Petrolona Cave, which is an absolutely stunning limestone cave in Chalkidiki in northern Greece. Just as the Moroccan finds look like they are on their way to becoming anatomically modern humans, but do not yet have all the distinctive characteristics, the Petrolona skull looks like it's midway between Homo heidelbergensis and Homo neanderthalensis, because the features are more archaic than Neanderthal features and lack some of the classic Neanderthal adaptation. About the same time, at least some heidelbergenses had learned to make some sort of raft or vessel, which allowed them to reach Crete. As we discussed in episode 2, at least a few of them settled for some time and left behind fascinating stone tools. We will return to these tools in episode four. So there you have a 10-minute recap that you can return to at any point to get a timeline in your head. I will be putting a timeline up on the website, historyofgracepodcast.wordpress.com, as well. Please note, this timeline is a synthesis of books and scholarly articles that I have been reading. There are many variations of the human evolutionary timeline, and they show the dynamic nature of the field of paleoanthropology. Some scholars believe that we are directly descended from Australopithecus afarensis. Others disagree, arguing that afarensis is a side branch, and that the Homo genus descended instead from Kenianthropus platyops, or a similarly aged hominin we haven't discovered yet. Many scholars argue that humans, Neanderthals, and Denisovans all descend, 
with varying numbers of intermediary steps, from Homo erectus. Others consider Homo erectus to be an evolutionary side branch. Some believe, as I do, that the lineage of humans and Neanderthals split about 500,000 years ago, when the Homo heidelbergensis population migrated across Europe and Asia. Others believe that the split came earlier, and that the human Neanderthal last common ancestor was Homo erectus. Still others believe that Neanderthals are not our cousins, but are rather the direct ancestors of anatomically modern humans. Although, it's doubtful this view will persist for much longer, given the weight of combined fossil and DNA evidence against it. I've done my best to reconstruct the story that seems most plausible to me, but since I put out my first episode in January 2017, discoveries have altered this timeline. We can only hope that scientific discoveries will continue to come thick and fast, either by way of new fossils, new DNA, or new analysis, and continue to develop our picture of the amazing human story. The next episode of the History of Greece should be up in about two weeks. In that episode, we'll return to Crete and the Paleolithic finds there. I'll give you a brief look at the controversies surrounding the incredible discoveries of the Plakia Stone Age project. I'll also give you a little peek under the rug, as they say, at how archaeology works. What methods do they use to date stone tools? How do they figure out where to look in the first place? Why do archaeologists discount some finds and have confidence in others? Find out the answers to all these questions and more on episode 4. Briefly, I would like to thank you for your patience. As some of you know, I'm currently pursuing my PhD. While being a graduate student means I don't work a regular 9-to-5 schedule, it also means that there are times when I'm incredibly busy for weeks or months on end. These last few months have been one of those times because of the requirements of my program. Thank you for your patience and understanding, and I hope you'll continue listening to the podcast, because there's some really great material coming up. In the meantime, I did a quick interview with Drew at the Wonders of the World podcast. For those of you thirsting for historically-oriented podcast, Drew does an amazing job of blending history, mythology, travel information, and recipes into his episodes. My interview will be featured over two of his episodes, one on the Parthenon and the Acropolis in the Age of Pericles, and the other on the Theater of Dionysus. I hope you enjoyed these episodes. Please check out his entire fantastic catalog of episodes, which cover, thus far, the whole Mediterranean region, from Egypt to Turkey to Greece and various islands in between. So while you're waiting for the next episode of the History of Greece, go take a look.